Welcome everybody to another episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. I am Adam Skirko, as always, joined by my co-host Jake Miller. And Jake, we are heading into the divisional round of the NFL playoffs after a pretty fantastic first round of the playoffs. How are you feeling after watching the results? How are you feeling about your Packers after seeing the beatdown that they put on those Cowboys? You know, they were playing with house money when they got into the playoffs. Something like, even if we are one and done, I don't give a shit. Jordan Love has shown enough to sh- for me to say he is the future. And if we can continue building up the team around him, yeah, I'm okay. And I love the young receiving core. They're all good in their own aspects. And they just make one badass unit. And, I mean, this week in playoffs was literally... The blowout week, four out of the six games, I consider blowouts. Five. The only ones that wasn't, I wouldn't consider the Bills Steelers a blowout because we expected the Steelers to get their ass kicked. Well, the thing that is, was a the blowouts, easiest pick of the g- blowouts considered 10 points or more. So that's why I would say technically it was classified as a blowout. Okay. It just wasn't surprising the ones blowout, that we've seen. One expected blowout. <laughs> yeah, yes. that was our expected blowout. The other ones, I mean, I think you and I talked about Dolphins Chiefs potentially being, but not what we saw. But Jake, let's start off with our recap. I went 6-0. and I'm very upset I didn't sneak up to the casino and bet a little bit. But you also had a nice weekend. You went 4-2 and in your picks. And Jake, we'll start off with the first game of the entire weekend, which was a 45 to 14 drubbing by the Houston Texans against the Cleveland Browns. Jake, this game, I think you and I thought it would be pretty close, but CJ Stroud is just proving that he is him. What were your thoughts? Um, You said it best. CJ Stroud is him. I don't even know if I can call this the Houston Texans anymore. One of the people I follow that does uh, news, he's a big Packers guy, Tom Grossi. He has labeled them the Strouds. And honestly, I agree with calling them just the Houston Strouds because CJ Stroud is this team. Now, obviously, they have a ferocious defense. They got four sacks. Will Anderson looked great. Christian Harris played great with that pick. And having the eight tackles and shit, Derek Barnett being picked off the scrap peep from the Eagles in the regular season is getting pretty good, consistent pressure and just adding another pass rushing unit to f- circle them around and keep them fresh. I think kind of you saw Joe Flacco. He wasn't afraid to air it out, but the magic ran out. He was trying to be a magician, and he fumbled. And honestly, I honestly expected this Browns defense to at least be able to do something because we have talked about the Browns defense being a top three unit all year. And they didn't get a single fucking sack. So... Uh, it's kind of like, well, you're fucked. I think the biggest thing you look at is yards per play, 8.1 for the Texans, 4.6 for the Browns. 
First downs, pretty similar, 18 to 14. Third down efficiency, 7 out of 15 for the Browns, only 2 for 8 for the Texans. So the Browns defense at least did that, but they couldn't stop the chunk plays. Total plays, 70 versus 44. Zero sacks for, for the t- allowed for the Texans, four for the freaking Browns. And you look at the time of possession, 35 and a half for the Browns almost, and only 24 and a half for the Texans. If you would have just looked at the, the basic team stats, you would have thought this game would have been closer. But unfortunately, it wasn't. The Browns had a very good season with all their injuries. Kevin Stefanski definitely deserves to be in consideration for coach of the year because of how much he had this team playing with backup quarterbacks. They were on quarterback four going to the playoffs with Joe Flacco. They lost their main running back early on. Jerome Ford stepped up and played phenomenally. And you had Amari Cooper look like a still a damn good receiver. But at the end of the day, they played good for the season, but the magic ran out. The magic did run out. And Jake, CJ Stroud, 16 to 21, 274 and three touchdowns, no interceptions, a 157.2 passer rating, which I do want to point out. We'll talk about another guy who had almost the exact same stat line and he had the exact same rating, which I thought was really interesting. The fact that you had two first time playoff quarterbacks post just about the exact same stats. And C.J. Stroud did have a perfect passer rating. He did have, I think he went in through an incompletion and it ended up costing him it. But they, I will say this, Jake, the run game was a little concerning. 13 carries for 66 yards and a touchdown for Devin Singletary. But outside of that, you had 10 more rushing yards in total on nine more carries. So definitely something to keep an eye on because C.J. Stroud essentially was carrying the team by himself. But Nico Collins with that beautiful, with just beautiful route running, sticky hands, six catches for 96 yards and a touchdown. And Revan Jordan, Jake, that deep or that run after catch that he had where he was just completely uncovered, sold the block perfectly and then was just free. No one was anywhere near him until right at the goal line. And one catch, but for 76 yards and a touchdown, you'll always take that. And what I also liked, Jake, was, like you said, four sacks by the Texans, seven quarterback hits. Will Anderson was getting consistent pressure. Kurt Hennish played a very good game. Christian Harris, like you said, very good, consistent rush. And Derek Barnett, you know, he was cast aside, like you said, from the Eagles. He is still playing very, very well. But Jake, what really sealed this game was two pick sixes thrown by Joe Flacco on back-to-back drives. Steven Nelson with an 82-yard pick six, and then Christian Harris having a 36-yard pick six right after. Flacco, he went down swinging, 34-46 for 307, a touchdown and two picks, but they couldn't get a run game going, Jake. They ran it 20 total times for 56 yards. Cream Hunt did have a touchdown, but to be honest, Jake, David Njoku was the number one receiver for this team. Amari Cooper, he had a okay day, four catches for 59 yards, but he was 
for the most part, kind of a ghost. And so you basically were relying on David Njoku and Harrison Bryant. I would not be looking at those guys out. I mean, I'd look at Njoku as a potential number one. Harrison Bryant's been a backup wherever he's been. What I really learned from this game, though, Jake, was Houston, they're going to be a contender, I think, from next year onward, as long as Stroud is behind center. Because what we saw is the rapid maturation of Stroud throughout this season. I mean, his regular season, Jake, he finished with 23 touchdowns and only five interceptions. And for like half the season, he only had one pick. Then he had that game against, I believe, the Cardinals, where he had three interceptions. And then he had one for the rest of the season. This what shows me what this shows me is that CJ Stroud, he he knows when to take a risk and he's able to make plays that are always going to be in his favor. He doesn't put his receivers in bad position. And with them heading up to Baltimore, I think that game is going to be a lot closer than people realize. I mean, the Browns were favored by two and a half, Jake. Uh, odds by ESPN bet. They were favored by two and a half. That's what the line closed at. And I had told you I'd take the Texans and the points because I'm getting the better quarterback. And CJ Stroud, I think he's showing that he is going to be a problem. And the division, Jake, I think the AFC South, I would not be surprised if Houston easily could waltz in with that division next year. Because if Trevor Lawrence doesn't come back better than he was this year, I don't think it'll be a competition. I, I'm i going to say this right now, Jake. Maybe float a little bit of futures money on Houston sneaking a number one seed because of their division. I know I said that with the Jags, but at least with the Texans, I know that Stroud won't have a massive regression like Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from with that. I think it's a little too early to say that, but or at least 100% say that. But with how Stroud is playing as a rookie, he's only going to get better. He's going to have all of his weapons back next year, fresh and healthy. And you're going to have another draft and free agency to come in there with new pro- with new talent and just make this team even better. Who knows what this team could do? They're already ahead of schedule right now, kind of like my Packers. But, I mean, if you would have told me the Texans would make it to the divisional, uh, I would have been like either D'Amico is playing out of his ass or Coaching, their division yeah. just fucking fell apart. Well, and I mean, the division kind of <laughs> did fall apart. <laughs> kind of both happened. D'Amico coached like D'Amico coached absolutely fantastic. I think he's also going to be in consideration for coach of the year along with Kevin Stefanski. And I do think that the division falling apart did help. I mean, Jacksonville was eight and three. They should have probably ran away with the division. But hey, kudos to Houston for taking advantage and seizing the division. But Jake, moving on to our second game, and this was a game that I think you and I both kind of had a 
bit of a read on. Kansas City and Miami, the Chiefs take down the Dolphins 26-7 in minus 4-degree weather with minus 27-degree wind chill, Jake. And my thoughts on this game were pretty straightforward. Kansas City is used to cold weather. Miami is not. And Miami has no one to blame for this loss but themselves because all they had to do was beat Baltimore and they would have taken the number one seed and the road to the Super Bowl would have gone through South Beach. And so I'm going to say something really quick. And okay. they, it, they didn't beat the Ravens. That's understandable. The Ravens are a juggernaut. You should at least beat the fucking Bills so at least you could have had the two seat and the Chiefs would have visited you in Florida. Your fucking team is built on speed and two is not good in the cold. You at least could have done something there and made it a fucking better game or at least try to, or you might have even won it. Exactly. And I mean, Tua Jake, he looked cold. He is plain and simple, looked cold. 20 of 39, 199 yards, a touchdown and a pick. And Jake, what I also saw was a team that kind of quit. I I texted you this in the second half. There was a pass to Jalen Waddle where he got alligator arms on the sideline and he went to catch it and I think he felt the hit and he just flat dropped it. And I was just like, yeah, this game is completely over. I think at that time it was, I think it was like 16 to 7 or 19 to 7. And it just looked like they gave up. And I mean, the run game wasn't, the run game didn't help much either. 18 total carries for 76 yards. I mean, Devon Achan, Jake, who is averaged 7.8 yards a carry throughout the entire season, had six carries for nine yards. Raheem Mostert, who was an absolute stud in the regular season, had only eight carries for 33 yards. It was just no one, no one was really able to get a foot in the run game. And outside of Tyree Kill, Jake, who had a 53-yard bomb that was underthrown, he came back from, made the defender miss, and got into the end zone. It would have been a shutout because outside of that catch, Tyree Kill had a grand total of four catches for nine yards. Cedric Wilson was your second leading receiver. Jalen Waddle was Houdini. He just disappeared. Jake, no one really looked like they showed up for this game. Honestly, if Kansas City hadn't been terrible in the red zone, it could have easily been 42-35-7 by a mile. Because Kansas City, on their side, they really were able to operate extremely well. Mahomes was 23 of 41, 262 and a touchdown. Isaiah Pacheco was running like a madman. I, Or as I've seen it described, Isaiah Pacheco was running like he bites people. And 24 carries, 89 yards and a touchdown. Mahomes contributed two scrambles for 41 yards. And I will say this, I have an issue specifically with Duke Riley of the Miami Dolphins. There was a Mahomes run where he let up and I was screaming at the TV. If you're going to let Mahomes run, you better bury him in the ground. You cannot let, I don't give a fuck 
if that's the face of the NFL, he does not have quarterback protection. You can hit him and he is not going to slide. They are not going to slide in the playoffs unless it is blatantly obvious. They are going to pick up yards. Him and Josh Allen both will hit them. And then Jake, on the Kansas City receiving side, Rasheed Rice really had a coming out party. We've been talking about him for the last six weeks that he is going to be the number one. Eight catches, 130 yards, and a touchdown off of 12 targets. Led the team in targets. Travis Kelsey had a nice day as well. Seven catches for 71 on 10 targets. But Jake, what I want to ask you is this. I'm going to ask you mainly about Kansas City. Do you think that this Kansas City team is still a Super Bowl contender? Because I will argue that because, like I said, this should have been a bigger blowout than it was, and you had four field goals by Harrison Butker, I don't think you can beat the Bills or Baltimore or help the Texans if they beat Baltimore this year or this week. You cannot beat those teams kicking field goals. Oh, yeah, no. I think the conditions made this a little bit rough because you see Mo, you saw Mahomes go 23 for 41. So like 56, 57% completion rating. Pacheco, he did enough as that road grader on the ground. And you saw Clyde Edwards Hilaire kind of be another road grader. But I think as long as the defense is playing good and Mahomes is still Mahomes, anything is possible because I mean if there's one thing I've learned, especially in playoff football, don't doubt Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. They can keep anything going, and now that they have a top three, top five defense playing like a bat out of hell under Steve Spagnolo, yeah, I could see them being a Super Bowl team, but I think the road's going to be tougher than this because they have to go all the way through three games. They've already won one. They'd have to go two more. But the opponents they're facing now are of a higher caliber. And they're going to be on the road these next two games, more than likely. So it's going to be like, beat the Bills, okay. Then you're down to either the Texans or the Ravens, both damn good teams. If you face the Ravens in Baltimore, you're probably going to lose. You face the Texans in Houston, that Texans home team is going to, or the Texans are going to be in Kansas city in mass. And it's going to be like, have fun. There's not an easy path to the Super Bowl Like they had, like they had the last couple of years. No. And Jake, I want to get your thoughts with the dolphins as well, because I'll be honest, Jake, I think if the dolphins are going to be able to win playoff games, they are going to have to secure the one seed or the two seed every single year with Tua. Because I don't think Tua is a bad quarterback. We've seen that he can be a very good quarterback. There were instances where he was in MVP talks early on and towards the middle of the season. But Jake, Kansas City had 409 total yards to Miami's 264. and. 
Kansas City also had six more plays. They had nine more minutes of time of possession. When I look at Miami, Jake, I don't think they're built for cold weather. I definitely don't think they're built for this. I don't think anyone's really built for negative four degree weather. But Tua, he does bad in games below 40 degrees. And in the AFC, Jake, you have teams where the only real dome teams that you have are what the Texans or the Colts. And I could see the Texans maybe hosting games against Miami. I don't see the Colts yet unless Anthony Richardson is able to make a big jump. We saw flashes, but you know, those are just flashes. Can you do you think that Tua Jake is a quarterback that can take them to a Super Bowl? Because I think he can be an extremely good quarterback, an extremely efficient quarterback. But I do have to question his arm strength in cold weather games like this, as well as his ability, because it just seems like he feels it seems like he gets smaller than he is in these big time games. They did not win a the only game they won against a winning team this year, Jake, was against the Cowboys. And we saw what the Cowboys were this week, this past weekend. Mm hmm. Honestly, I think the Dolphins can keep Tua around, but you need, you said it best. They you didn't say it specifically, but things need to be perfect for the Dolphins to go on a deep playoff run. They need to have home games. They need to be a top two seat, and in the AFC, perfect is not an existing thing. Because of how many dominant quarterbacks and dominant teams there are. And you have one of the most dangerous quarterbacks in your division in Josh Allen. So it's just like, well, this isn't going to be well end well. And at the end of the day, yeah, two is extremely good. He is very accurate. He distributes the ball good. He has weapons. It's just... When things don't go perfect for the Dolphins, it goes downhill. I've talked about earlier in the season that if one wrong thing happens for them and they get behind, they are the Cowboys of the AFC. Front runners. If they, yes, they are front runners. And if they get behind or something goes wrong, they are fucked. Because if they get behind, there goes your dynamic running game. You're going to have to rely solely on Tua's arm, which you can because of the weapons he has. But teams are going to know that they don't have to worry about the running game as much if they fall behind, if the Dolphins fall behind. So at the end of the day, if everything isn't lined up perfectly for them, they're not going to be a deep playoff run. And if Tua doesn't get it done by the end of next year, you could see him be no longer the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. And I think that's a very real possibility because of the fact that I also think that th there's a lot of flack with Mike McDaniel, but I don't look at Mike McDaniel as necessarily an issue being the fact that we know he's a good coach. We saw what he did with Skylar Thompson last year against the Bills. And what I do want to say as well, Jake, 
I understand Miami. You were hurt. You were extremely hurt. You had a lot of injuries. You lost your three best pass rushers. You lost your two signal callers on defense. And you lost your best corner. But it's not like Kansas City was perfectly healthy either. That's all I'm going to say. Injuries happen. You can't account for them. And it really just comes down to football's a war of attrition. That's what it's always been. And injuries are going to happen whether you want them to or not. It's all about can you overcome them? And Miami just couldn't. But Jake, moving on to the Sunday slate, and we're going to start off with the first game, a game that I predicted would be a Packers win, but I don't think either of us could have expected the Packers to drop 48 on Dallas. Green Bay coming away with a 48 to 32 win in Jerry World. And I will say this, Jake. The final score is a little misleading because it was 48 to 16 with under six minutes left in the fourth quarter. And then Dak got some garbage time stats. Jake, little tidbit for you. Dak Prescott, when it was 48 to 16 with under six minutes left, he had 193 yards passing, one touchdown, and two picks. He finished with over 400 yards. So this idea that this was a close game, nah, bullshit. But Jake, what were your thoughts on your Green Bay Packers coming away with, honestly, the most embarrassing loss the Cowboys have ever felt? Um, Aaron Rodgers has transferred ownership of the Bears and now the Cowboys to Jordan Love. And I fucking love it. I think, and pardon my French... But the Cowboys have a new daddy, and his name is Jordan Love. He just <laughs> shit all over your elite defense. You sacked him zero fucking times. Now, don't get me wrong. Micah Parsons did get a couple holding calls called on my o- on the Packers O-line. And, okay, the first quarter. I understand that. Yes. And when it was 27-0, I was thinking like, holy fuck. They couldn't cover. Dontavian Wicks made a potential future Hall of Famer. And Stephon Gilmore looked like Xavier Rhodes, where the roads were open. And it's just like, what the fuck? CD had his fucking day. Michael Gallup actually finally had it over a 100-yard receiving game. And Jake, Jake Ferguson, I mean, shit, that was, this was his coming out party. We've already talked about him being a potential top tie, top 10 tight end. We had trouble covering this son of a bitch. 10 catches, 93 yards and three receiving touchdowns. Now Dak played like shit early on. Then he realized, then he realized like, oh, wait, I'm getting paid like a top five quarterback and I'm a top 10 garbage time. Something that he has been very good throughout his career. I still have him as a top 10 quarterback, but I, fuck, I blame the Cowboys defense mostly on this one because Dan Quinn should have been able to do something against this 
receiving core because their average age on their team is 23.7 on their offense. That is the youngest offense in the NFL. It is the youngest offense in playoff history on average. And you couldn't do shit. Jordan Love was 16 for 21, 272, and three touchdowns. Hey, Jake, what was that passer rating? I'm pretty sure it was a 157.3 or a 152.8, something like that. It wasn't The exact same as CJ Stroud. And the only difference between them, Jake, was two passing yards. Yep. And Aaron Jones is still looking like Aaron Jones. He is still beating the shit out of the Cowboys. 21 for a buck 18 and three touchdowns. Fucking love it. Romeo Dobbs just fucking got open on so many of his plays. Six for a buck 51 and a touchdown. Luke Musgrave. Have you ever seen a guy more open in a playoff game? This is a legitimate question. I think Stephen A. Smith said it perfectly, Jake. The fact that the ESPN cameras had to zoom out to find a Cowboys defender anywhere near Luke Musgrave lets you know how wide open he was. Yep. And Keisha Nixon, he he got burnt a little bit, but he more than made up for it. Devondre Campbell, yeah, he wasn't the greatest in coverage on Jake Ferguson. Quay Walker had some mistakes, but I mean, overall... If you don't count the 16 points that were scored late when it was 48-16, when then it became 48-32, the defense held up against a top 10 unit. And if it wasn't for garbage time, yeah, this would have been a, a 48-16 game. And I'm thinking like, damn, okay. So at the end of the day, we went in there happy as fuck, not expecting much. We were playing with house money. We destroyed the fucking Cowboys. And you're seeing a, a lot of optimism from the Cowboys. And the thing I find even funnier is the NFC is like, come on, another quarterback? This is bullshit. They can't keep getting away with this. And yep. I am just smiling with a shit-eating grin. And... Even if we only get one Super Bowl Super Bowl out of Jordan Love, that is still more than two of the teams in the division. What I think is really interesting about it, Jake, is I told you straight up early on in the year, Jordan Love was trash. He play he was playing like a bum. And all it is a hilarious thing to see all the people saying, Yeah, what do you think about Jordan Love now? to a lot of people who doubted him. Jake, you forget. They were two and six, and he was playing really bad. He had the twenty—I think he had the twentieth or twenty-second highest passer rating in the first half of the season. Then you go up to the week ten, where kind of something switched in this team, and he then went to the highest passer rating from week ten to week eighteen in the NFL. And not to mention Jake. On this run that he's had, the nine games, 21 touchdowns, one interception. He was turning the ball over a lot earlier in his in the season, and he was missing a little wild. 
But Jake, you know what I kept hearing on the broadcast? Who did he keep getting compared to? The guy that he replaced, Aaron Rodgers. And I can't lie, it did look pretty damn similar. Throwing off his back foot, throwing it up, up deep. You know, he actually was showing off the fact that he was able to move around in the pocket, scramble a little bit, not necessarily to take off and run, but to throw. And Jake, the reason why I think the Green Bay Packers also have a lot to be excited about is you think about how well Romeo Dobbs played, Luke Musgrave played, Tucker Craft contributed, Dontavian Wicks, like I had mentioned last week, I thought he would end up playing well. He had a touchdown against Stefan Gilmore. Jake, I would argue you had one of the best offensive performances you could ask for and arguably your most explosive receiver in Jaden Reed didn't register a catch. Now, Mm -hmm. Aaron Jones, Jake, what I really liked is the Packers weren't afraid to run the ball and Aaron Jones, he rewarded him. Like you said, 21 carries, 118 and three touchdowns. He's the oldest player on this offense at 30, (laughs) which is just wild to think about. And Jake, you want to talk about this defense? To be honest, it was 27 to nothing. And the Packers or the Cowboys, excuse me, were lucky to get the touchdown that they got before halftime because. Devondre Campbell dropped a wide open pick. He undercut it perfectly, and all he needed to do was just reel it in. And then a false start happened on the touchdown to Jake Ferguson. So, I mean, they just didn't call it. So, when I look at that, the Packers should have gone into halftime 27-0. And Dallas Cowboys almost killed Jerry, or uh, not Jerry Jones, Jimmy Johnson. I don't know if you saw that, Jake. Jimmy Johnson was livid he was apoplectic with what he was seeing and he Troy Aikman said that he had the last time he had seen Jimmy Johnson that mad was when he played for him so you know the 94 season now for the Cowboys Jake the fact that they're retaining Mike McCarthy after this is just mind-boggling because One in three in the playoffs and every single exit that you have had has been embarrassing. Two years ago against the Niners, you call a quarterback draw with like 14 seconds left and the time runs out because the ref's not Usain Bolt to spot the ball. The year or before this, Jake, you lose to the Niners. Your defense gave up only 19 points and your offense was weaker than a water pistol. And Dak threw two picks in that game. In this game, Dak should have had at least three. He had two. He should have at least had three. And Jake, like I said, before with less than six minutes to go in the game and at 48 to 16, he had a hundred 93 yards, one touchdown, and two picks. The fact that he finished with 400 is only because of the fact that the starters for the Cowboys stayed in 
and Green Bay's backups were already relaxing and chilling. CeeDee Lamb, Jake, he and Dak weren't even on the same page from the start of this game. CeeDee and Dak looked, they looked confused. And you had Mike McCarthy coming over and talking to CeeDee Lamb. And when I was seeing that, I'm like, oh, this might be a, this might end up being a route. This is bad. Now, Michael Gallup, cool. You had 100 yards in a game that didn't matter. And Jake Ferguson, he had three touchdowns, Jake, but two of those were against your backups. So I'm not going to put too much stock in that, though. He did play well. He had a nice season. What I think is going to be a really interesting thing, Jake, for Dallas is I don't think Dan Quinn is getting a head coaching job now. I don't see it. I think if my Seahawks hire him, that's that's just throwing in the towel and strapping yourself in for four years of mediocrity. But Jake, I will caution this with the Packers as they move forward against the Niners. The Cowboys ran 89 total plays. Now, you could argue a lot of those were against your backups, and they did put up 510 yards, again, mainly against your backups. But that is a lot of plays. So I would be a little worried for the Packers moving forward. But at the same time, the team is young. I wouldn't, if it was a more veteran team, I think I would be concerned. But this Green Bay Packers is a young team. And Jake, they don't know that they're not supposed to be this good. They don't realize that they should be getting blown out. A young team that's confident is a scary, scary thing. And for Dallas, Jake, I can't wait to watch more years of mediocrity with Mike McCarthy. I think your Green Bay Packers are really glad that they don't have him as a coach anymore. Yes, agreed. But kind of moving on away from that, let's go to probably... The best game of the wild card. The one that had the most drama and the two teams having homecomings. That is the Detroit Lions versus the Los Angeles Rams in a one-point game that the Rams nearly won. But this was one of my games, so I'll just do a quick brief on it. Puka Nakua just kicked ass. Nine for a buck 81 and a touchdown. Now, I think the refs actually fucked the Rams on this. And the reason I say that is because there should have been a defenseless receiver, a helmet-to-helmet, or a pass interference on the last uh, catch for Puka, or last throw to to Puka, because he got hit. And there was some massive P.I. in that. I I think the refs were like, you know... If we don't let the Lions go further than this, Dan Campbell's going to kill us or Lions fans are going to hunt us down. They did it to save their own ass, which, hey, I understand. But at the end of the day, the Rams put up a hell of a fight. They got decent pressure, three sacks. Ernest Jones, the fourth, looked fantastic. And, I mean, you couldn't get the running game going that well, but... You only ran it 17 times for 68 yards. Kyron averaged 4.7, so he did good. 
Tutu Atwell with a deep ball. Cooper Cup, eh, didn't do much, but everybody was throwing to Puka. So it's kind of one of those things that you have to look at. And how did draft analysts miss this guy? He broke the 60-year record of receiving yards for a rookie. And he also broke the catch record that was set in Joan Waddle's rookie season. This guy is legit. And I'm glad he went to a team like the Rams to have an established quarterback because he is fantastic. Then on to the Lions. Goff was actually very accurate, like he should have been. 22 for 27, 277 and touchdown. Then the run game. You did it. They did enough. David Montgomery, 14 for 57 and a touchdown. Jameer Gibbs, 8 for 25 and a touchdown. Amonro just fucking ate like we both thought he would at seven catches for a buck 10. Aiden Hutchinson finally showed out, which finally glad he could get some action. And if you actually look at their plays, this is what I love. First downs, 22 for 23 versus 23. Third down efficiency, three for nine, three for nine. Fourth down efficiency, one for one, for one, one for one. Total plays, 55-55. Sacks allowed, two to three, punts, two to three. Then time of possession, 30 minutes, five seconds, 29.55. There are so many fucking stats for the team stats that are so fucking close. It's like, what the fuck? Well, yeah, Jake, that's what I loved about this game was the fact that it ended up being super, super close. But Jake, remember, the first three drives for Detroit, they went Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Now, credit to the Rams. They were able to make adjustments and only give up three points for the rest of the game. But at the same time, Jake, Detroit, this was a game that Detroit, you could argue, could have won handily. Now, Raheem Morris, Jake, I think he's going to get some head coaching consideration because of the job that he was able to do in slowing down this Detroit offense. And like, I mean, you nailed it on the head. Puka Nakua was an absolute monster. I think, Jake, he's firmly established himself as the number one receiver on the Rams. I would not be surprised if the Rams somehow move off of Cooper Cup at the end of the season or towards the offseason, mainly because of the fact that you could argue that that ankle injury that he was dealing with that hindered him out for the first four weeks of the season just lingered throughout the entire season. But at the same time, Jake, it just, I don't really, I never really looked at Cooper cup, Jake during this season and thought that he was at all himself. Now you could argue some of that could have just been the injury. Some of it could have been age. He is getting up there in age, but at the same time, I just don't know if you could, Thrust Puka in a number two role after what we saw him put out as a rookie. He, like you said, broke the rookie reception and receiving yards record. And then he set the record for the most yards by a rookie in a playoff debut. And you're absolutely right that there should have been some PI called. You could argue there should have been a roughing the passer called on Stafford. That one, I would say, definitely should have been called because I don't know if you saw that hit, Jake, but Stafford's eyes, he looked like he was in a different dimension. 
And I'll be honest, I don't think he should have been allowed to continue to play after that hit. But at the same time, any either of those two plays get called or penalties get thrown and the Rams are setting up for a game-winning field goal. Instead, Detroit stops them on fourth down and the Rams don't get the ball back for the rest of the game. Now, what I really liked, Jake, is Dan Campbell, one, he's got these guys believing that they should be here. They deserve to be here. And not to mention, I really liked the aggressiveness to put the ball in the hands of Jared Goff. Let him win the game for you. Don't run it twice. Like, don't just run it, punt, and give the Rams a chance to win because in the second half, the Rams came alive. Now, I will say this. Credit to Detroit's defense for being able to hold the Rams two field goals because, Jake, that was really the deciding factor. Was the fact that in the red zone, the Rams were 0 for 3, the Lions were 3 for 3. If not for that, the Rams could have easily won this game. Now, I will say this, Jake, I think moving forward, you're going to want to see more of a run game from the Lions because we know what Amon Ross St. Brown can do. Sam Laporta, he showed up, got another touchdown. I think, though, if you can establish more of a run game against the... I believe they're playing the... They're playing the Buccaneers. If you're able to establish a run game against the Buccaneers, Jake, I do think that what you're going to end up seeing is more play action for Jared Goff, and then we can see more Amon Ross St. Brown, Josh Reynolds, maybe a Jamison Williams deep shot. But what I really liked, Jake, is Goff was also clean with the ball. No turnovers. He did have a fumble, but it wasn't lost. Everything was fine. If Detroit plays clean, Jake, it's going to be a hard, they're going to be a hard team to beat. And for the Rams, all you could say is a hell of a season because most people thought they were going to be awful and they proved them wrong. Won 10 games in a, what I would consider a rebuilding year. They have a bright future to look forward to, but they do have a lot of questions. And then Jake, moving on to the Monday slate, you had the Bills facing the Steelers and Buffalo blowing out the Steelers 31-17. Now, Jake, at one point, this was a seven-point game, and then Josh Allen did Josh Allen things. 21-30, 203 yards, three touchdowns. He also had eight carries for 74 yards and a rushing touchdown, highlighted by a 52-yard scamper. And Jake, I'm telling you, like I said, that man's not going to slide. Mahomes, Allen, bigger quarterbacks, they will not slide in the playoffs unless they absolutely have to. And what really won the game for Buffalo, Jake, was the fact that they were able to run it 34 times in total for 179 yards. Now, granted, Josh Allen contributed 74 of those, but still, you do the math, 
nine minus 74. That's still 105 yards, which is pretty damn good. And James Cook had a nice day, 18 carries for 79 yards. But what I really liked, Jake, was we had a we had a Stefan Diggs sighting. Seven catches for 52 yards off of nine targets. But Josh Allen spread the ball around, spreaded the ball around Jake. Three catches for 59 yards and a touchdown for Dalton Kincaid. Deontay Hardy had a catch. Khalil Shakir stepped up three for 31 and a touchdown. Dawson Knox had a touchdown. What I really liked, Jake, was Buffalo wasn't afraid of spreading the wealth. And then when it came time for Josh Allen to make a play, he made a play. Too often, Jake, we've seen Josh Allen have to put up 400-yard performances and four touchdowns just to make the game even close. What I really liked, though, was the fact that it was more of a balanced attack. Now, granted, you could argue it was still Josh Allen being Josh Allen, but you didn't have to solely rely on him. Now, for the Steelers, to be honest, it was a miracle that they even made the playoffs. Mason Rudolph as a backup, 22 of 39, 229, two touchdowns and a pick. He played about as well as you could for a third stringer. The run game, they were able to get 100 yards in total. Jalen Warren led the charge with eight carries for 38 yards. Najee Harris, 12 for 37. George Pickens, though, five for 50 on 11 targets. Now, I will say this, Jake. I'm going to call out Deontay Johnson real quick. The refs didn't cost you this game. You shouldn't even have been in this game to begin with. The fact that this game got rescheduled was an advantage for you because if they had played in that game, you would have probably gotten blown out 24 to nothing. But because the weather was that bad and this idea that the refs are against the Steelers, you guys paid the refs to win a Super Bowl. I don't want to fucking hear it. Now, Jake, I will ask you this heading in to Buffalo's face off against Kansas City in Orchard Park. What do you think Josh Allen needs to do in order to finally slay the big red dragon that is Patrick Mahomes? Because he's beaten him in the regular season, but twice in the playoffs, he has not been able to beat him. I think that them actually being at home is a big thing for the Bills. This is the first time in their matchups that the Bills are having a home game. And this is the first time in Mahomes' career he's not he's going to have to be on a road playoff game. And the Bills are one of the most ferocious and I would say best crowds out there. They are some of the hardiest, toughest motherfuckers of for a football fan you will ever meet, and they're some of the most passionate football people. Bill's Mafia is fanatic. They're, they're exactly. fanatical. Exactly. If you watch what they were willing to do to shovel snow for the game, and under those type of conditions last week before this game, it was fucking f- freezing. And it was a, literally a snowstorm from hell. It probably could have froze hell over. But I think Allen needs to continue playing this type of football. Accurate. He was 70% accuracy. 
Didn't throw for a lot of yards, but he got four touchdowns. Three in the air, one on the ground. He needs to use those legs, and he needs to rely on his weapons to get open. Now, is he going to have time to let the routes develop against the Kansas City Chiefs pass rush? Probably not, because Chris Jones, Leo Chanel, George Karloftis, Trent McDuffie coming on blitzes. The thing is, with how big Allen is, I don't think any of their secondary pieces can take him down one-on-one, which is a good thing. If McDuffie's blitzing him, uh, McDuffie's a good tackler. But I don't think he can take down Allen, even with a full head of steam. If he does, it's because someone's assisting him, or he ran into, he ran into somebody else. So you have the possibility where if Allen can keep this up, and the Bills' defense can at least be okay, I'd be like, they have a good chance of winning this. And as long as it come down to a coin toss again, they should be able to slay their, their big bad boogeyman in Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Well, now the coin toss like doesn't said, matter as much. Yes. But at the end of the day, it's like I said earlier, I'm not going to doubt Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes in a playoff game because it's just like doubting. It's almost a level of doubting Belichick and Brady in a playoff game. You doubt those fuckers, they're probably going to kick your ass. So the Bills are going to have to hit hard, play hard, and they have a good chance of winning if they do all that. It's not a guarantee, but hey, I think they have a good chance of winning. It's not a guarantee. It's not 100%. But at the end of the day, the Bills have light for once in beating the Chiefs in the playoffs. Exactly. And Jake, for to me, for Pittsburgh, uh, like I said, pretty much summed it up well. They should have just been happy to be here because if Burrow doesn't get hurt, they're, they're not here. They, they would not have made the playoffs. And to be honest, Everyone knew that they were literally just here to be the one blowout. I don't think we need to spend too much time on them. But Jake, moving on to the last game, and I want to get your thoughts first on it. You had the Eagles facing the Buccaneers and the Eagles getting absolutely bludgeoned by Tampa Bay 32 to 9 in a game, Jake, that at no point felt close, in my opinion. What was your takeaway from this, honestly, embarrassment from Philly? The fact that the fucking Eagles' dominant, quote-unquote, dominant defense fucking allowed Baker Mayfield to throw for three touchdowns and over 300 yards. Um... Your tackling needs to get better, dumbasses. Oh my god. I love a lot of the players on the Eagles. But you fucked up in not re-signing a linebacker or getting a linebacker, mostly an outside backer or more importantly, a middle linebacker. So your pass rush, okay, you can still get out at the quarterback, but uh Darius Slay is not playing great. He's at least okay. So I'm, okay. I'm not going to give too much blame on him. James fucking Bradbury. Though. Oh boy. 
this motherfucker, he has been burnt all fucking year. Go back to the Seattle game. All of the plays that you got dotted up on on that final Seattle drive by Drew Locke were all when Bradbury was the main coverage guy. Yep. And I mean, I've loved Bradbury's career. Came in as a, I think he, he was either a, a very late round pick or a UDFA. Came awesome. in, kicked ass, and he's a very good, he was a very good corner in his prime. Now, um, I don't think he deserves the contract he has. I mean, shit. The only people that played good was your pass rush. They got four sacks on Baker. And the only player on your offense that was worth a damn was Devonta Smith. He showed up and said, all right, A.J. Brown's out here. I can carry. Eight catches for 148, averaging 18.5 a catch. He had a damn good game, but he is the only guy on this fucking team that played good. The I, it is going to be one of those things where five to ten years from now, people are going to look back and say, why the fuck did you get rid of Sean Desai for Matt fucking Patricia? How the fuck does this guy keep getting jobs? He I, has to have dirt or something. I don't get it. Sean Desai was not as good of a hire as me and you both thought he would coming from the Seattle Seahawks organization. Yeah. We had high hopes that he would be able to replace Jonathan Gannon, maybe even have the defense play better under him than when compared to Gannon. But shit, Sean Desai can at least play somewhat in coherent defense. Patricia can't do shit. You're, I'll let you go for the rest. I, 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 I mean, you're echoing basically what I thought, Jake, the fact that we had a Philadelphia team that was 10 and one to then go on to go one and six in their last seven games. It's a collapse that I don't think you can imagine. You couldn't write a bigger collapse. Now, Jalen Hurts, Jake, I think this is. I heard this comparison. Nick Sirianni, I think he has to go. And if Belichick were to go anywhere, I think it would have to be here. Because one, Howie Roseman's not going anywhere. And two, he can coach defense. Because to be honest, Jake, Nick Sirianni, this was Brandon Staley level of coaching. Jalen, he might be hurt. I don't know for sure. But even if you are hurt, all the fans see is one and hurts on the back of the jersey. 25 of 35 for 250 yards and a touchdown. And Jake, this game was over after they scored that touchdown. And the reason why I say that is because after that touchdown to Dallas Goddard, they lined up to go for two after a penalty with the tush push. And Tampa Bay was able to stop it. Vita Vea, the monster that he is, was able to clog the gut of the offensive line and stop it. 
I think Jake also AJ Brown being hurt did not help, but I, I would not be shocked if AJ Brown is not with this team next year because we've seen the man wants his touches and there are instances Jake after that six game stretch where he had 125 or more receiving yards. He didn't have a touchdown in December. And it seemed like there were times where he just didn't. The offense didn't even look his way. Now, I understand you have Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith is fantastic. But A.J. Brown is your one. And I think Devontae Smith is your 1A. You gotta feed your one. And you're right. This defense, Jake. I don't think you could imagine more of a collapse from one year to another. And a lot of people thought that, oh, it's just injuries. It's just injuries. No, you're in no way, shape or form. Did this secondary look anything like it did last year? And the lack of tackling was embarrassing. I was watching the Manning cast of this game, Jake, and Ray Lewis was on there and he was he could not sit still watching the Philly defense and their inability to make tackles and the fact that they were essentially jogging to try and make tackles, not sprinting. And he was absolutely right. The Philly Philadelphia's got a lot of soul searching to do. And I think one of the biggest things is Sirianni has to go. And you could argue it's an overreaction. But this is a organization that moved off of Andy Reid after he had gone to five NFC championship games. They moved Chip Kelly went 10 and 6, 10 and 6, and then they moved off of him in the middle of his third season. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl, made it to the playoffs, and then missed the playoffs and got fired. It's not an overreaction for Philly. Philly has never been afraid to move off of players or coaches that they believe cannot help them. And I think that after what we saw, after the collapse we saw, Jake, you're going to have to clean house as far as coaching goes. Now, for Tampa Bay, Jake, I picked them because I thought Baker Mayfield against that secondary could absolutely dice it to shreds, and he did. 22-36, 337, and three touchdowns. Only the second Tampa Bay quarterback to ever throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns in a playoff game, the other being Brady, which is just kind of shocking. Rashad White had a nice little day running the ball 18 carries for 72 yards they ran it 29 times in total for 119 yards jake and kate otten led the team in receiving yards and targets eight for 89 i did like the fact that baker wasn't afraid to throw to a tight end he had mike evans on a wide open deep ball touchdown that evans dropped otherwise this game could have been even worse i thought to be honest, Jake, this game should have been a lot worse. I would not have been shocked if they had put up 50. If Tampa Bay receivers could have caught the ball. I think that Tampa is at least going to be a interesting matchup. 
against Detroit, but as far as this game goes, Jake, Tampa Bay looks really good, and as far as Philadelphia goes, if I'm a Philly fan, if I'm a Philly sports talk broadcaster, I've been hanging my head in shame for the last week. But Jake, moving away from our recap, just some quick head coaching news. Uh, Starting off with, like we mentioned earlier, Jerry Jones is retaining Mike McCarthy as head coach. I think it's an absolute mistake. I understand that Dak had what looked like his best year. He played at an MVP level in the regular season. But to me, Jake, I look at Mike McCarthy and his offense is a wet blanket. I just don't see anything creative. I don't see anything, you know, clever. I look at his offense and this idea that he was going to run the football more. They threw it more than they ran it last year. To me, I think it's a mistake, but what are your thoughts? I think that keeping Mike McCarthy, I can understand both sides of the argument. He is 42 and 25 across the three seasons. He actually, yeah, I think 42 and 25. So he's done a very good job winning. I'll give the guy that. But the problem is, it's just like every other head coach for the for the Dallas Cowboys. Great regular season. Shitty in the postseason. And I don't know what curse or what voodoo priest they pissed off to have 29 years of playoff drought of not making it to the NFC Championship game because they have had talented rosters. They have had talented quarterbacks. Tony Romo was a guy who was more than skilled enough to make the Super Bowl and win one. Dak is, pl- is more than skilled enough to win a Super Bowl. It's just either... They face the wrong opponent. They are not on their A game or something else in a myriad of issues happens. Mike McCarthy actually improved this year. He actually used motion at the snap and motion to look at what the defense was doing to help out his quarterback read the defense better. And if you would have told me Mike McCarthy actually would have improved. I would have said bullshit. I've seen this man be my coach, be the Packers coach for I think 13 or 14 years. He never used, he never used motion. He's evolving. I'll give him that. He is getting better as a coach, but the one aspect of him that has never changed is clock management and knowing how to use his timeouts and challenges. That is one of the reasons he got kicked out of Green Bay. And I feel like that's going to be the reason he gets kicked out of fucking Dallas. I think he's a good enough head coach. If you give him a good roster, he can win with it. But he's not good enough to get over the hump of, to get a Super Bowl, in my opinion. So it's complacency, but you re- I don't know if you can do better at this moment. Yeah, I mean, I to me, Jake, I would at least try and interview John Harb or Jim Harbaugh, excuse me, and 
I would at least try. I would have at least tried to have brought Belichick in for an interview because I do think there is mutual respect between Jerry and Belichick, and I think there would have been at least a chance for there to be a blossoming relationship there. But I mean, to be honest, Jake, I think the fact that it doesn't seem like really much is going to be changing and heading into next year, you're going to have to sign CD lamb, Micah Parsons and uh, Dak. The Cowboys are going to be in for a rough next few years unless they can figure something, a miracle out. Um, Also, Jake, in coaching news, Antonio Pierce has been hired as the Raiders coach. He was the interim, and he has been retained. There isn't a mistake happening like last time with Rich Bisaccia on to Josh McDaniels, who I think actually I might have seen at a coffee shop in Washington. Um, but Jake, obviously I think this is the right move. Antonio Pierce, he coached them to a five and four record after he took over, but he won the locker room over. And being that Antonio Pierce was able to do something that no Raiders coach was able to do for, I believe the last two years, which is beat the chiefs. And give Mahomes his first loss, I believe, on the road to a divisional opponent. That's notable. And he also was the head coach to a 63-21 drubbing. Just an absolute housing of the Chargers, which cost Brandon Staley his job. Obviously, he has player support. He was able to be a inspiring coach. And I think that he is going to have a bit of a task ahead of him, being that we don't really know who the Raiders quarterback is going to be moving forward. But I do think that if there was a person to hire, it was Antonio Pierce. But what do you think? I think they made the right hire. If they didn't keep Antonio Pierce... Max Crosby had openly said that he would probably throw a trade. He was going to demand a trade. And you probably would have lost Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams, too. I think you're you're losing losing Josh Jacobs regardless. Yes. But you would have lost Devontae and Crosby more than likely if you didn't keep Pierce. And I think Davis, their owner, he learned from higher, from not hiring Rich Passaccia, which the players wanted, he didn't listen. This time he has listened, and he has made the right choice in the head coach for the first time in probably, well, probably the last five or six years, because Gruden, I don't think, was the right hire. And McDaniels definitely wasn't the fucking right hire. So I think there's a chance that this might be their best coach since Del Rio. Oh yeah. Prime Del Rio. Easy. I think this, he could even be better than prime Del Rio, but you have a myriad of things to figure out on the defense and the offense for the Raiders. They're a middle tier team, but they have their guy at head coach. Finally, after so many years, that's the first step. 
That is very true. And Jake, our last little bit of coaching news, uh, the Falcons completed their second interview with Bill Belichick, which I don't hate the idea of Belichick being the Falcons head coach, but I do think that if there was a place for him to go, it would be Philly. Where do you think Bill should go? Bill, I think, can go almost anywhere he wanted. But I think if I wanted to see him go anywhere, it'd be the Chargers. Now, whether he goes to the Chargers, because Jim Harbaugh's the favorite there. But I think Belichick would be better there because he can fix that defense. You have a young elite quarterback to work with. And as long as he doesn't want GM roles, I'd be okay with it. Because you have a new GM coming in, and we don't know who it is yet, but you have a roster you need to figure out, and Bill has been a GM for many years. He could help a younger first-time GM or a second-time GM in there and help him out. You would pretty much have two GMs in that building. It would be a cheat code. And uh, you have... Yeah. Remember, that man cannot draft a offensive player to save his life. Jake, he has drafted two Pro Bowlers in the last, I believe, eight years or so. And I agree with that. And, but one, here's and the they thing. have been a punter and a kicker. That's why he's not the main GM. He is there to help the GM and guide him, not to be the GM. Because I agree with you. He can pick a defense Defensive player like a motherfucker. Offense, fuck no. So I think that's where I want to see him. And you also forgot to mention Jim Harbaugh is going back for a second interview with the Falcons as well. And they have requested to meet with Mike Vrabel next week. So you are seeing some very high-tier coaching guys being interviewed by the Falcons any one of them, I would love, but Belichick, I think I would be the worst hire for them because they don't have an established quarterback. Their defense is good. It doesn't need fixed. But you have so many young weapons on offense, you need to get the quarterback position right, and I don't trust Bill with that. And who knows if he wants GM control. At least with the Chargers, they don't have a GM. With the Falcons, you have a decent GM, and I don't trust him with GM roles. And it, it's a good thing Matthew Slater's son isn't in the draft because knowing yes. him, that's who he would take with like the eighth, seventh or eighth pick. But I want to give you a proposition that I think would make Falcons fans cringe like a motherfucker. But I would love it from an out. I think we'd both love it as an outside perspective. And that would be imagine the hire Mike Vrabel. Who do you think his OC is going to be? Oh, geez. Imagine if you hire Mike Vrabel as head coach and he brings in Arthur Smith. I, now, don't get me wrong. I think Arthur Smith is a good OC. He is one of those guys that's a good coordinator, but not good as a head coach. I will agree with that. Keep him as a coordinator, as an offensive coordinator. He will do good. Head coach, hell no. That's Vrabel. I think the Falcons players would set fire to the facility. I don't think that would actually work, and I don't think Arthur or Blank would at all let that happen. I think he would say, Haha, yeah, you want this job or not? 
because I don't think he wants Arthur Smith anywhere near him. But Jake, moving on to the predictions and picks. Jake, we'll start off with the Saturday slate. The first game happening at 1.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. That's where I am. And Jake, that is the Texans heading to Baltimore to face the Ravens. What do you think? What are your thoughts on this game? And what is your prediction? Let's go ahead and get the prediction and the pick. Okay. So you're you. Sorry, I kind of spaced out for a second, but you mentioned the Texans and Ravens, correct? Yes. So because of the injuries the Ravens have, and he, Texans are riding a hot streak right now. I have the Texans narrowly winning by like a field goal. And I think you're going to see CJ Stroud ball out. He went against an amazing pass rush unit with the Browns. Didn't sack him once. You're going against another great pass rush unit in the Ravens. So let's see what he can do against another one. The kid has got it. Now, honestly, I would love for Lamar to win a Super Bowl ring. I think he deserves it. If he does win this against the Texans, it wouldn't shock me. I think it's going to be a closer game than people think. But I have the Texans narrowly winning. Probably make it like 25 to 21 or 26 to 23 type game. Okay. I have that written down. Now, Jake, this is a game I told you uh, before we started recording. I have been fighting with this decision. I actually hadn't made any of my picks yet, mainly because of the fact that I've been going back and forth on all of these games. And this is one that I've had a tough time with. I'm going to take the Ravens to win this game as much as I want to take the Texans and as much as I was leaning Texans earlier this morning, I just have to believe in Lamar Jackson and the level that he is playing at right now. And because of both the running game that he's been able to establish with him, Gus Edwards and Justice Hill, as well as Justice Hill receiving the ball, I do think that Lamar's going to be able to deal the ball. He's going to be able to do enough damage with his legs to carve up a Texans defense that, while good, can be had. And Jake, I, I think what really also seals this is this is the best receiving core that Lamar has ever had. He's got Odell Beckham. He's got Zay Flowers, Devin DuVernay, Rashad Bateman. It's just one of those things, Jake, that the Texans, they have Stingley, but I don't think they have a third great corner. And I just think that the Texans injuries at receiver only having Nico Collins, if they had Tank Dell, I think it would be a different story. But because the Ravens just are also on a ridiculous, they've been on a tear against good teams and they've made a habit of blowing out good teams. I have the Ravens winning this game. I think it will be close. I think it'll be around 28-24. I do think that the Texans will cover. I think 9.5 is way too much, but give me the Ravens. 
But Jake, moving on to the second game of the Saturday slate, your Green Bay Packers are taking on the 49ers in Santa Clara. So, my Packers, I love you. I thought you would lose to the Cowboys because, like I said, we were playing with house money just being in the playoffs. But the Cowboys' old division playoff woes came to bite them in the ass like they usually do. You're going against a different caliber of team here. I think you make I think you make it competitive, but I think the 49ers are going to be too much for the Packers to handle. And if the Packers do end up winning, fuck it. Okay. You did something not even Aaron Rodgers could do the last couple of years of, of his career and slay his boogeyman in the NFC, which is the Niners. So if Jordan Love can pull off that, fuck it. I'm all in at that point. Let's go to the Super Bowl and beat some ass. But so, right now, the Niners are, uh, gonna, I think, too much to handle at this current standpoint. Give it next year in the playoffs with the Packers and Niners, I'd feel more comfortable. So, Jake, interestingly enough, I am taking the Packers to win this game. I'm writing them again. And here's why. Because when I look at the 49ers, Jake, I mentioned this against the Cardinals when they played them. And I think you sort of, you know, just brushed it aside, which I would understand why, considering the Cardinals aren't great. But, Jake, the Cardinals were able to rush for over 200 yards against this Niners defense. I think what the Packers showed with Aaron Jones against Dallas is they they are willing to commit to the run game and open things up through play action and allow Jordan Love to have the middle of the field open. With Dre Greenlaw potentially missing this game, I like the Packers mainly because it's again the same thing with the Ravens. The Niners' corners are solid. Charvarius Ward is a very good corner. I don't think he's great, but he's very good. Diamador Lenore can be had. We saw that he's been able to be burnt a little bit. And I also think, Jake, that when I look at the Packers' defense, I think Rashawn Gary is going to be primed to have a big game against this D, this O-line of the Niners. I think you line him up away from Trent Williams, they're going to be able to get pressure on Brock Purdy. I think they force him into a couple turnovers. And I you have to wonder, Jake, with the Niners, does rest hurt them? Because remember, Jake, they will have not played for essentially three weeks. Give me the Green Bay Packers to make it to the conference championship game with Jordan Love. I, I didn't believe in him, but better late than never. I'll take the Green Bay. I'll take, take the Go Pack Go. Jake, let's move on, though, to the first game of the Sunday pair, and that is the Buccaneers and the Lions in Detroit. This game is going to be interesting. I could see either one of these teams winning. I think when you have Baker Mayfield coming more into the playoffs, he's never made it past the divisional round. That's the furthest he made it with the Browns. And 
I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers receivers and running game, mostly their receivers, are going to be too much for the Lions to handle. You have Kate on coming into his own. You have Chris Godwin, Trey Palmer. Hell, David Moore had two catches for 66 yards. And you still have Mike Evans, who is a motherfucking badass and a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm picking Tampa to win this, and they are going to stun people, and Baker is going to get a lot of money this offseason, whether he sticks with the Buccaneers or he goes to a different team. The Lions, I think if you do win this, it wouldn't shock me because technically on paper, you have the superior team. But I think your defense is going to let you down because I don't think you're going to be able to pressure uh, Baker Mayfield enough. You don't have any interior pressure. And your your pass rush is Aiden Hutchinson. That is it. You have Tristan Wirfs, who's an all-pro left tackle. You have a right tackle that can hold his own. Aiden Hutchinson on either side, he's going to be better on the right tackle. But if he's going against Tr- Tristan Wirfs the entire game, he, he's not going to get shut down. He's going to win a couple reps, but he's probably going to get one sack at best. And Mayfield's going to hope, I think he'll play a clean game. Maybe throw a pick, but I think they're going to be able to get Goff pressured enough to make him, you know, show why Goff is not considered an elite quarterback. So at the end of the day, I have Buccaneers winning versus the Lions. This is so interesting, mainly because of the fact, Jake, that we're going head-to-head so far on all three of these games. I have the Lions winning this, and you are exactly right about the Bucs. Their O-line at tackle is very strong. The Lions, though, have a strong overall offensive line. Now, you can argue the Rams were able to get to Goff, but even with those tackles, Jake, Baker did get sacked by the Eagles four times. It's not like they were a stone wall. I look at the Lions, Jake. I think that they are a much easier, they are going to have a better chance to run against the Bucks than they are against the Rams because the Rams are young. The Buccaneers are old. And I would not be surprised if potentially there are injuries. Knock on wood, it doesn't happen, but you can't rule anything out. I think that the pair of Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery are going to be able to control the line of scrimmage, milk the clock, and I think that Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be able to take advantage of either of the Buccaneer corners, and I think Josh Reynolds is going to be able to have a solid game like he did this past season, or this past week and Sam Laporta is good for a touchdown. I'm going to take the Lions. I think it'll be close, but I am going to take the Lions. And Jake, moving on to our final game. And this one is probably going to be the most drama filled one. The Kansas City Chiefs heading to Orchard Park to take on Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. So this might be the one game we agree with. I think now that the Bills have a home game, Chiefs are on the road for the first time in a playoff game for Patrick Mahomes' career. I think the Bills are going to do just enough. I think Josh Allen's going to do a Herculean effort. James Cook is going to do enough in the run game. 
And I think Mahomes and his receivers, mostly his receivers, outside of Rasheed and Travis, aren't going to do anything. And I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball on this Bills defense very much. Pacheco will get some chunks, but not much. I have the Bills winning this in probably the most exciting game of the week, at least the one with the biggest at hand because of who of the quarterbacks are playing. So at the end of the day, I have the Bills winning over the Chiefs. But if the Chiefs win, shit, it wouldn't shock me. Because like I said earlier, never doubt Mahomes and never doubt Andy Reid. So, Jake, this is probably the game that I had the most trouble with, especially looking at the injury report. The Chiefs are going to be without Derek Noddy. They're going to be without Sky Moore. And Kadarius Tony, not much of a loss, but he is questionable. Justin Ross is questionable. The Bills are going to be without Christian Benford, Gabe Davis, Taylor Rapp, and Balen Specter. And there's a chance Terrell Bernard does not play. I'm taking the Bills tentatively. And the reason why I'm taking the Bills is mainly because of the fact that I think that their run game is going to be a more potent attack against the Chiefs than the Chiefs will be against the Bills. I do think home field is going to matter mainly because of the fact that for once, Mahomes is going to be in hostile territory. He's not going to be able to, he probably won't be able to hear as much as he would be able to in Arrowhead, where they're going to be dead silent when the offense has the ball. I think it's going to be, like you said, probably the most exciting game, the most drama-filled game, but I'm going to take the Bills to finally slay the Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes dragon in Buffalo, and for Josh Allen to finally make it to a can't, conference championship game and potentially make it to a Super Bowl. But Jake, that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. Thank you all for listening. You can check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to follow so you never miss an episode. And for Jake Miller, I'm Adam Skirko. We'll see you next time. Take care. Take it easy.